Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Have a Little Insight. Ryan and I are both here as always. We just wanted to give a little um, heads up that this week we got into a bit of a heavier topic, as you can tell from the title. So we had a guest this week. Her name is Rebecca Sinak. She's actually Ryan's sister. Um, and she shared her story with us about and her experience around sexual assault and sexual trauma and labels that are associated with it. And we just thought it was really important, even though this is a heavier topic, to have these kinds of conversations and that they help other survivors or other people who might not have even known that um, maybe they did have an experience that was sexual assault or rape. And it's people like Rebecca speaking up and sharing that really make a difference. So thanks, Rebecca, for coming on the show this week. Yeah, I'm really glad that she showed interest in wanting to come on and uh, talk about her experience with us because I've been talking with her about it for the last couple of years and I've been learning a lot myself. And yeah, it was just very important to share experiences like this because they are seen as something uncomfortable or kind of touchy to talk about. But I think that shows that it is very important and that there needs to be more widespread information. With that, in the episode, Rebecca mentions that it took her a while to get to this point in her journey, and she actually only started her journey four years ago, even though her um, sexual trauma was much earlier in life. So if that happens for anybody listening during the episode, or if you have experienced something before and you haven't reached out and this motivates you to, we just wanted to provide some resources. So we're based in Ottawa, Canada. And contact numbers for this city are the Ottawa Rape Crisis Centre. The phone number is 613-562-2333. There's also the Sexual Assault Support Centre of Ottawa. And their support line phone number is 613-234-2266. Awesome. So, yeah, I hope everyone um, tunes in and gains a little bit of insight and please feel free to reach out and contact us if you have any questions or any comments regarding any of the subject matter that we get into and if you want to reach out to Rebecca as well personally you can contact us and I think we'll be sharing her uh, social media account uh, following the post for the episode as well. Please, too, if you comment, be respectful and um, think about your words before you talk. We did take a lot of time and care in this episode to make sure it was handled with a lot of vulnerability, kindness and um, perspective. So we would just ask that you do the same. Cool. Cool. Let's have a listen. Hello, everybody. So today on Have a Little Insight, we actually have my sister, Rebecca Sinek, on as our first guest. So. Rebecca, for anyone that isn't related to you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm not related, so I would like to hear about you, Rebecca. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Okay, well, my name's Rebecca. Um, I'm currently a social work student at Carleton University. I'm in my last year of my bachelor's right now. Um, I work for the public school board as an EA. I do a lot of work with individuals who have autism with the city of Ottawa, kind of been bouncing around the field for almost like five years now. Yeah. So an EA, just so people know, I, I'm pretty sure I have it right, but an EA is an educational assistant, right? Yes. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you do as an educational assistant? Um, so basically I go in the classroom and I support students that have 
emotional, behavioral, learning needs, whatever it is that that child needs, I can help them academically, I can help them with crisis management, emotion management. It's kind of like a lot of, a lot of detective work, <laughs> a lot of love and nurturing. Nice. Well, that's super important because there's a lot of kids in classrooms today and there's a lot of different stuff going on. So it's definitely good to have people like you in the classrooms and helping our young people for sure. How's the uh, quarantine been treating you? <laughs> our uh, favorite topic lately. <laughs> well, ever, ever, it's on everyone's mind, right? <laughs> I just started classes, so that keeps me busy. But other than that, I just have a regular workout routine, which I haven't had in years. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> um, are you having any like struggles or what's been the hardest part for you about the pandemic or the quarantine? Just curiously. Honestly, I think I had a lot of uh, social anxiety and I suffer from PTSD. Um, for those that don't know, post-traumatic stress disorder before the quarantine. And I find going into the quarantine and having space from people has actually been really good for me. Mm. It's been helping a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah just having, having time to process everything, right? Because there's not constant distractions going on. You don't always have to be going from one place to the other all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I have like my safe space that I can do whatever I want in, which is nice. Cool. So I think this is a good segue into uh, the major topic that we're having you on for as uh, to talk about trauma and the labels that are associated, especially you mentioned uh, surrounding with sexual abuse. Yeah. So I don't want to speak to like trauma labels in general, because that's mm. not what my experience is. My experience is with sexual related trauma. And that's why I wanted to focus on those labels in particular. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that you wanted to just talk about what the experience was for you and that like kind of what started you getting into this line of work and wanting to research it and try to understand it a little more. Yeah. So should I mention it now? You can yeah. mention whatever you like, whenever you like. <laughs> um, so um, I'm a child childhood sexual abuse survivor. Um, but I also experienced another assault when I was in my preteens and I was in two abusive relationships. Um, so from there, that kind of sent me on a very long journey of trying to understand myself and my experiences in relation to the world. And it's the main reason why I want to be a social worker is to help people who were in my position, because for a very, very long time, I never admitted anything happened and I didn't want to deal with it. And I've only really been dealing with it for probably four years now, maybe. And really only within the last year, I would say the most. So mm. can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, so you said um, it first happened when you were a child and then a preteen, just for people who are listening for time reference. And you said you just started really dealing with it about four years ago, but really one year ago. How old are you now, just for frame of reference for people who are listening, how long it's actually taken you on this journey to come to the point where you've started addressing what happened to you and actually starting your process of healing, if it's fair to call it that? Yeah, I'm 25 now, um, and I was five when the first incident happened, and it went on for about two or three years. Um, I don't know the exact time frame because my memory, obviously, at that age isn't the best. Um, and then my preteens, I was about 11, between 11 and 13. Again, I can't exactly pinpoint how old. 
And then it was probably about 21 or 22 that I actually started going to therapy and dealing with it. And then with just within the last year, and that's just because I started dating somebody. So that brings up a lot of emotions. Right. Yeah. And well, I, I remember too, sorry, Jenny. Um, no. I just, I remember when this first started to come up for you, I was living in Toronto at the time mm-hmm. and you called me just to tell me like, Hey, by the way, this just started to come up again. And I wanted to fill you in on what exactly happened, what I remember. And, uh, like for anyone else who's listening to this or like has anybody in their family that might be dealing with something like this, it's, it's not easy at first. Like it took me a little while to just like accept it in a way. Mm -hmm. But then after that, like just by through talking with you and trying to figure it out and just asking you questions, um, that's the best way to just, you know, process it and get through it. Well, that's that's fair. Yeah. The thing is, is just from what I've learned and from what I've heard from other people, the best way to start overcoming this is to voice it out loud because then it doesn't have as much power over you anymore. Mm. It's the secrecy that keeps the shame. Mm. Yeah. It's the, the being swept under the rug. Like we don't talk about this, like let's mm-hmm. just pretend it didn't happen. But by doing that, it's only prolonging it and just keeping, I guess, a wound there. Right. Exactly. Cause the main issue underlying this whole big issue is that people avoid what they're uncomfortable with. And this topic is obviously very uncomfortable, so people avoid it, but that's never gonna solve the problem. Exactly, yeah. So we can get in a little bit more into the specifics of the labeling that goes on with people that are, because I know before like the term was people would call it a victim, but that's (laughs) not necessarily the term that we wanna be using. It depends. There's Four words in particular I wanted to focus on, mm-hmm. victim being one of them, survivor, and then trauma and assault, because those two are also parts of the label. Okay. The thing is, is all four of those words, they all come with definitions, they all come with underlying meanings, and then they all come with the meanings that we apply to them. And the biggest thing is that language shapes how we think, and how we think determines how we behave. So if we think a certain way about ourselves because of the labels that we use on ourselves or others give us, then that's going to depend on how we, beha- how we behave. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to like kind of get into the little details of that, victim basically means that you have injured some form of crime that has been perpetrated against you, but then you have these like underlining co- underlying connotations to it about um there's shame secrecy it's kind of this idea that you can't take care of yourself um that you're weak um so when you're referring to yourself as a victim you get into a victim mindset and i'm a classic example of exactly how this happens being abused as a child as you get older you're in that victim mindset whether it's conscious or not and you keep finding yourself in situations where you're being victimized because that's how you're thinking But the problem is, it's not that you're to blame for that. It's that people can pick up on that and they can sense when you're in that mindset. And for example, I wound up in two abusive relationships. Both were manipulative people that were able to pick up on that I felt like I was a victim, so I behaved as one. And then you get into survivor, which is more of an empowering word. And that's more what people 
now in society refer to individuals like me as survivors. Um, but I kind of have issues with this word and maybe this is more of just a personal thing. It really feels past tense. And the thing about sexual trauma is it is not past tense. It is very much present and it's like a living thing inside of you. So when it's, when you label yourself as a survivor or other people refer to you as that, it's almost this idea that you're strong and you're capable and you got this so they don't have to help you. So then you're not getting the level of support that maybe you need, especially if you're the one choosing to apply that word to yourself. Um, and then trauma is bigger and it kind of encompasses more than just the physical aspect of what happened. It kind of encompasses everything. Um, and obviously trauma is a very scary word, especially because I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand what that word means. And then you have assault, which is very like, for one, more so physical. And two, um, it's also kind of, it kind of sounds singular to me, like it's like a one-time event. Um, so what I struggle with is I don't want to refer to myself as like an assault victim or a trauma victim or assault survivor, a trauma survivor, because I feel like all these words get really confusing and they don't accurately encompass everything that I've been through. Mm -hmm. So just to unpack that a <laughs> little bit, like it's, no, it's, it's good, but I think it's just because there's um, the current narrative around these words. There's, is, is it just that, it's being misinterpreted or the meaning that they put on the, the label is just not what we should be putting as the meaning? I think that's mainly what it is. The issue is just there's no real education about it. So people are kind of getting these definitions built off of things that they're seeing within the world, on the news, mm. what they're hearing. Um, and a lot of how we learn in society is just through interactions with others. So if you're getting a negative interaction with somebody that's associated with the word victim, it's not necessarily going to have nice connotations to it. Right. So then what ends up happening is people, people are basically, there's no universal definition. And the problem that I'm finding is victim and survivor are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's no in between. So you're either weak and you all you need is help, but there's not enough help out there, or you're strong and you don't need any help. Right. I feel like it's kind of um, also important to say that it's not about weakness. Like that isn't why these things happen to people. Um, mm -hmm. And men men are victims of sexual. Um, I'm not sure what term we want to use in the conversation. I want to be respectful, but mm -hmm. it happens to men less likely, but men are victims as well. It's not, these things don't happen to people because they're weak. Um, and just because it happened to you, mm -hmm. I agree. Victim does sound like a weak term. And we do use that term in our society a lot where we're like, oh, that person has a victim mentality. Like it's almost like looking it, like when I hear like somebody's playing the victim it sounds like a woe is me kind of situation and feel bad for me. And I'm looking for your sympathy. And from what you're saying and what I hear from other friends of mine who have been through, unfortunately, similar circumstances, that's not the case at all. Exactly. And that's the thing is because 
victim gets this association of like there's blame and a lot of the time that blame gets put on to the person that has experienced the sexual trauma or the sexual assault and a lot of that is just because that's the way a lot of people in society think either they were dressed the wrong way and they were asking for it or they were in the wrong place and it's their fault so that's why i feel like victim just gets associated with like being weak or um, a sense of blame or shame because it becomes our fault somehow so as somebody who's doing the work and going through it right now how do you just out of curiosity how do you choose to self-label or self-identify and what do you feel is the most empowering thing in terms of your personal recovery when it comes to using labels or talking about your personal experience? Interesting question, uh, because my self-label actually changes a lot. Right. It depends, one, on the day, how I'm feeling that day. If I'm having a particularly rough day, I'm having a lot of flashbacks and emotions, then I might refer to myself as a victim. Um, but if I'm having a day where I'm feeling pretty good, maybe I'm kind of angry that day, I'm probably going to refer to myself as a survivor. Um, but then it also depends on the audience that I'm talking to. So like speaking to other sexual assault or trauma survivors, um, I'm generally going to refer to myself as a survivor because it's more of an empowering thing where we're trying to build each other up. Um, and I find more often than not when I'm speaking to women, I refer to myself as a survivor. But when I'm speaking to men, I refer to myself as a victim, which I'm just kind of picking up on that now. And I just think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I was going to say that's interesting and like ask if we could unpack that a little bit more because <laughs> I don't find that like I'll fully disclose. I'm very fortunate that I have never been through a situation like that. Um, a lot of the material that you read, being a woman as well, there is small things that happen in our society that are dismissed. Obviously, like I've been inappropriately groped at a bar or had my ass grabbed or, you know, things like that that were just taught to dismiss as like, oh, that was nothing. But it does definitely make you uncomfortable. And that's not, we're not even talking on the scale of things that we're talking about right now. And I wonder if that terminology of using victim with men and survivor with women is because oftentimes I don't want to say the wrong thing here or use stereotypes but the stereotype or the most common situation is that men are often the perpetrator if we mm -hmm. can use that word and yeah. women are usually the people who need to do the work to recover and survive not always the case there are some men like I said before that are vic victims and survivors as well but it is interesting to note that the language is different depending on the gender that you're talking to. For sure. Like, as I'm saying and I'm thinking about it, is that something I never really noticed until I just answered that question? Um, but I definitely find anytime I've been victimized or in a situation that I felt victimized, it's always been a man on the other side. So that could just be those feelings of insecurity and fear coming out when I'm around men. So using the term victim, because that's how I feel in that moment, even if it's not a victimizing situation, could be why I'm choosing to use that over survivor. Because being around other women, I'm obviously more comfortable, um, not very, never having been victimized by a woman. Um, and it's a lot more of an empowering environment too, I find. Um, and women tend to, be, tend to respond a lot nicer <laughs> to that self-label than men do. Yeah, and I think that's, partially because like what Jenny mentioned, because a lot of the friends that are girls that I met, even in my experience um, working in Toronto too, like 
it happened so much more than I ever realized. Like even just those small things, like an like a butt grab and things like that. That yeah, it just the narrative is different, right? Because I know like guys have this, you know, like oh we're all bros, we're going out, like we're gonna get chicks or whatever, right? But then with mm-hmm. girls, it, it's that it's that sense of safety, like we're together, you know. Yeah, actually, it's I find because I feel like I've kind of shifted more into survivor mentality um, since like I'd say maybe January. And that's just because my I was going to group therapy up till December and it had just ended at that point. But I found, I never really noticed, like obviously I've been harassed and groped at bars and men have catcalled and whistled and all that jazz, everything, all the females out there I'm sure experience. But I never really noticed how bad it was until about January. And I don't know if that's just because I was coming into society with more critical mind now, having met other women who had similar experiences to me. And I got so angry (laughs) at everything, which is probably where the social anxiety was coming from. But just tiny things where guys at work were just getting a little bit too much in my personal space and just had no understanding of the fact that you should be arms length away from me, regardless of whether I'm a trauma survivor or not. Just little things like that. A lot of that comes down to just the fact that there's no education and no one has taught them any better. So they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And again, like because this is kind of a, a, a tougher subject to touch on, like I feel like there's kind of two sides to it, right? Like if you are a survivor or whatever label that you're using for yourself uh, that some sexual assault has been done to you, uh, you need to be able to like talk about it and, and process it and be strong, like, okay, this doesn't define who I am, but I still need help to kind of talk to somebody and, and work through this, right? But then on the other side, there has to be that education to show like respect to everybody that includes women, you know, like do on to others as you would have done on to yourself kind of idea. So I feel like there is that lack of education as well, um, just through a lot of people that I've talked to in my experiences as well. You were you just said um, something about how we move forward and we don't let it define us or we shouldn't let it define us. Yeah. Yeah. I picked up on that because something I've been grappling with is um, the whole idea. I've had this like line drawn in my mind for as long as I can remember of like the traumas on this side and me as a person is on the other side. And within the last few months I've come to the realization there is no line. Hmm that although the trauma doesn't completely make up everything I am, it is a huge factor into the person that I am. So to some extent, it does define me. Mm. It defines who I am. It defines my compassion, my empathy for others, my views of the world, my understanding of myself and others. So I just find it interesting that that's a lot of language people use in society of like, don't let it define you you're better than this. You're bigger. Like, don't let it control you. And all those big words are thrown out there. And I really feel like the people throwing them out there have one, never experienced it. And two, have no clue what they're talking about because it's just not true at all. And I just want to like disclaimer, this is my opinion. So if someone else feels differently, I mean, all the power to you. This is just how I feel about it. I feel like when you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is We're not what happens to us, but what happens to us, how we deal with it, how we move forward, how we work on these things are what turn us into the people we are or the people we'll become. So while you're not what happened to you, 
like you said, it is a big part of who you are, who you'll be, why you went into social work, for example, why you're having this conversation today. But I think when I hear people say like, don't let it define you, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. It's like, it's, there are labels in so many things. And we'll say to the, like, to the sexual trauma, sexual assault realm, but like, as a member of the LGBT community, labels are a huge part of my existence. And I would never say that those labels don't inflict sometimes on how I think about myself or that they're not part of who I am because they are. Mm -hmm. And that identity and the things that have happened to me around that process, while very different, I think you're not what happens to you, but they definitely influence the person you become. I feel like the people who use that language are people, like I said, who haven't experienced it. And it's like that a whole idea of trying to put a Band-Aid over it. And that's their way of like putting a Band-Aid over it, giving you a pat and being like, go out into the world and live your life. We've done all we can. We have no more money to support you as a community resource, or we don't want to. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that that spurred something in you because again, like I'm not saying that I'm correct in any of this because I haven't really experienced something like that myself. So I just... Like, I didn't think there was anything bad natured about saying that, but no, it's true that the labels and I, and I think like we will stick to this, like Jenny said, but, um, just with a lot of different labels, like it's interesting how there's a stereotype that gets put on. Like when, when you ask somebody like, what do you think someone who is gay is like, right. And they have this, this idea, this image in their head. But then for you, if you self-label as like, I am, or for Jenny, right. Like you might have a different idea of what that means from what somebody else tells you it means, right? If that's fair to say. Yeah, there's, there's definitely perceptions, I think, out there when we use certain words. And I think one of the most interesting things, and I hope I remember this right from the resources that you sent us, Rebecca, was that these terms and these labels, even using the word rape, for example, or sexual assault are really difficult words to use because um, the information you sent us was from the U.S., but even from county to county or from state to state, those definitions of those crimes vary or what that used to be considered or defined as. Like, um, I think in something you sent me, they defined rape as like sexually assaulted in an alley by a stranger when that's not what rape is at all and there's a misunderstanding around the language that we use and what it actually means and how much that can vary from culture um where you live who you interact with what's happened to you and so it's very important to think about how we speak about these things and i think it's important to let people self-identify and claim their own labels because it's just imposing things on people Exactly. And actually, I don't know if it was the same article you're referring to, but one of the other ones that I skimmed, they just did, um, it was just research and they created a couple different definitions of what rape was. And they had a bunch of women participants come in and they, they would give one definition to one group, one definition to another, one definition to another. And then they would have to self-identify based off that definition. And based off that definition, it kept changing who was self-identifying because the definition kept changing. So the fact that even a definition can have the power over us to decide if something actually happened to us or not is huge. Yeah. Kind of scary. <laughs> I also and, found it. Sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. You can go first. 
no, I, I, you, I can ask it later, but I think you had a thought there that you were going to. I did. See. I was going to yeah, say the other part of the resources that I found really interesting that you sent was one of the articles, I think it was a paper written by somebody out of a university in the U.S. She said that her research indicated that people who use the term victim are more likely to suffer anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder than people who use the word survivor. And there wasn't a lot of elaboration on that. I don't know if you have more information on that, but I found that really interesting that how you choose to identify can actually affect like your whole mindset and how you take something on or how you go about your healing process or acceptance or whatever somebody's process might be. Speaking from a personal side of that, I'm honestly not surprised because going through like my, I'd say like my late teens to my early twenties, when I was in those abusive relationships and before those relationships, I would definitely say I was in like a victim mindset. I wouldn't say I had actually identified as a victim quite yet. Like I, at this point knew something had happened. I was aware I was starting my journey with PTSD flashbacks and all that stuff. And I definitely remember thinking to myself several times, like, I don't deserve any better. Like, this is all my fault. Um, I'm a terrible person. I must have done something really bad to deserve this. And like, being in that mindset obviously makes you extremely depressed because you don't feel very good about yourself. And it wasn't until I got out of those abusive relationships and I started doing things for myself and accepting that none of this was my fault. I did not do anything wrong to ask for these experiences that I started to shift away from that depression. And I started to think of myself in better ways. Like I'm a good person. Like I can do something good with these experiences. Um, so honestly, that research does not surprise me at all. So I know Ryan, I hope you're holding on to your question still, but my brain's just like rolling with this. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. For anybody who's listening. Um, and if only if you're comfortable, how you went through that process of being a victim like having that mindset, that victim mindset that this didn't happen to me, repression, repression, slowly into a flow of acceptance and feeling more empowered and wanting to work on what actually happened to you and addressing it and not letting it, I guess, for lack of a better term, and if I use the wrong term, please correct me, but um, handcuffing you and holding you back. I feel like it wasn't until near the end of my second abusive relationship that I kind of started to realize something was off about my thinking and like how I thought of myself. Um, and the biggest thing was I had started a new job and I made all these great new friends and they were all in relationships and they were all telling me about their relationships. And I remember thinking mine is nothing like this. And I was embarrassed to tell them about my boyfriend because he was abusive. <laughs> but at the time I never labeled it as abuse until you know, I, I mentioned a couple little things here and there. My friends would make comments about how that was not normal. And that's when I started to realize, like, I had myself in a bad situation. Um, and then, too, when I started to spend more time with these, with these girls, um, he latched on even more and constantly hated on them. And anytime I asked why he didn't like them, he never had a good reason. After leaving him, um, there was little points in time throughout my late teens before I started dating him. So I'm kind of jumping around as I think about it. Okay. I was so depressed. I considered suicide as I'm sure a lot of girls in my situation have. And then realizing one day I was never going to do it because I have, I had such a strong support network, which was my family mainly at the time. And I could never do that to them. 
because I know how much it would hurt them. And then I realized, okay, I need to do something to get out of that mindset because that's not an end and I need something else to be an end. And if that doesn't really make sense, I just mean an end to the pain. Mm. So once getting out of that, because I kind of kept on to that pain throughout those two relationships, getting out of the last one, I realized I needed to do something drastically to get out of it, out of that mindset. Um, And then also, too, I didn't really have good judgment when it came to men (laughs) because my judgment was seriously skewed from all of my experiences. So I just swore off men. Um, so that played like a big factor because I wasn't focusing on dating or seeing anyone or anything sexual whatsoever. All I had time for was myself. So building myself up, doing things that I loved, figuring out who I was as a person without somebody else in the picture was super huge for changing into that survivor mindset. Um, and then I had a really big setback when I started dating my current boyfriend, just obviously having similar experiences And by similar experiences, I just mean any sexual experiences, whatever. Sorry, Ryan, that you have to hear this. (laughs) Any sexual experience whatsoever can mimic um, abuse or assault. So it brings up a lot of PTSD, so a lot of flashbacks. It was a really big struggle. Um, My boyfriend's really supportive, really great guy. So having him there to help me through it and then going to group therapy, and I highly, highly recommend group therapy to anybody who's considering it. Um, It was super helpful just to hear other stories and just feeling very empowered. Like, I'm not the only one. I can do this. That was a very long explanation. Not at all. It's a lot. (laughs) No, it it is great, though, because I I was going to just, I first I was going to ask about, because you mentioned that the, that certain labels, and I think if I remember correctly from reading the articles that you sent us, that certain labels can have different emotional attachments to them as well, which I think we kind of touched on with the mindset as well, that if you feel like you are a victim, then that has a toll on your emotion and that you do go more into a depressive state rather than feeling like you are a survivor and you can get past it or process it. Exactly. And like, I'll share this information because I found it very helpful and I'm hoping if anybody listening has, who has had similar experiences that might, spe- might be helpful for them. The mm-hmm. one thing I've really struggled with is trying to understand where the end point is because if there's no end point, then I'm just going to forever be suspended in this like pain abyss, which is a horrible thing to think about. Um, and it was actually after reading a book that I forget the name of, but I can definitely give it to you guys to post with the little blurb if you wanted to. Um, yeah, definitely the book kind of talked about like the three phases you go through. So victim survivor. And the last one they talk about is called a thriver. Um, and they actually explained what that looks like. And because I'm a very visual person, I need to see what that's going to look like if I'm ever going to get there. And it's basically the abuse or assault no longer has control over you and you don't think about it every day and you can go through huge chunks of your life without thinking about it or it coming up in any way, shape or form. And you have like a healthy relationship, just meaning that you're able to engage in intimacy without any issues. You're able to communicate with your partner and all that. So having that information, I feel like I felt much more empowered and much better about where I'm headed compared to where I have been and where I am now. Awesome. 
So I think unless there's anything else, uh, Rebecca, specifically that you wanted to mention before we wrap things up. The only thing that I wanted to kind of like end on is just, I don't have an issue with the labels themselves in particular. Mm -hmm. My issue is with our lack of education about them. And I really, really strongly believe that they should be teaching about this stuff in high school because I know being a teenager, if I had been exposed to that and been taught about it, where I am now may have looked very different. Right. I also feel like if we started teaching this in high school, we would have to just ensure that like the people who are teaching our youth this are well-informed and sensitive and understanding. It was one of the key things I wanted to come into this conversation with and that Ryan and I had discussed in advance is that this is obviously a sensitive topic and it's something that people are in different stages about. Um, so I almost feel like it's something that people would need special training for, or it could be something possible that people like yourself who are already in the school system could do. And I know in the stuff that you sent that education was one of the big things, but also one of the things that I felt would be interesting to touch on in closing is um, the victim's right to choose mm -hmm. and choose how they're labeled and how important it is that we don't impose those things on people. I find it interesting because a lot of, um, a lot of like social community resources I've been to will generally start any meeting they have with like, um, please let, allow us, like, let us know what you would like to be identified as, as in like, you know, she, he, them, her, him, whatever it is that you choose to identify as. And I find that that's interesting that they do that for that. But in terms of like going into community resources for survivors, they don't ask you how you want to be identified. They just identify you for you. Mm. And so and just then, out of, sorry, go yeah. ahead. I was just going to say, and then it just creates confusion because like the one that comes to mind is with the Ottawa police, they have a victim, victim services unit, but you're referred to as a survivor. So you're going into somewhere labeled a victim service unit and you're being called a survivor. It's just kind of contradictory and it's a little confusing. Yeah, I was going to ask, my question was, was what is usually the imposed label from systems? But then you kind of answered it with your thing about the Ottawa police. So it kind of goes, but it really depends where you go. Like, I've gone to uh, Sask, that's like, I can't remember the full name, it's in Ottawa, and they refer to you as a survivor. The ORCC, the Auto Rape Crisis Centre, kind of, it's, at least when I was there, and this was like a few years ago, they kind of interchanged as well. And I feel like it just gets really confusing. So I get just the last question here to finish things up. and. We will leave a lot of resources for people in the show notes on our website. If anyone wants to learn any more information or if they need to reach out to anybody or know that or know somebody that does need to, but the group that you're with, what is, is there a way for people to get in touch with a group, like to do a group therapy? Yeah. Or is there a certain title for it? Right now, obviously, everything's on hold with COVID, and I'm not entirely right. sure when everything reopens. It really depends. There's two main ones in Ottawa. So there's Auto Rape Crisis Center, and then SASC. Again, I can't tell you what the full name is, but it's like S A S C S, I believe. I'm on Google. We can we can we can I'm find Googling it right yeah. now. <laughs> so they have two. To, they they both have their own approach. So it really depends on what would work for you. I did group therapy with SASC. Um, and they have like a peer support sort of vibe that they go with. So it's basically like women who may have experienced the same thing and they come in and they've 
they work for them and they kind of like run the group. They also do individual peer support counseling, but just to like clarify, that's not professional counseling. So if you're looking just to kind of have almost like a friend type situation, but like a little bit more professional than a friend, that's what that is. ORCC, Auto Rape Crisis Center, they have a feminist counseling perspective and they actually have, they actually have professional counselors. Both of them have waiting lists. They told me for SASC, it was going to be like, I think like six months on the group therapy. I was on their waiting list for like two weeks and I got in really quick. Uh, peer support, they told me it was going to be a while and it was like a month and I got in. Um, or a CC, they won't tell you what the weight is. And I think that's just because they just don't know. So like Ryan said, we will pro be providing all this information in the show notes, but just for a quick wrap up for anybody here, um, the places we talked about for support, at least in Ottawa, are the Sexual Assault Support Center of Ottawa. That's right, right, Rebecca? Yeah. And their support line phone number for anybody who's listening is 613-234-2266. Um, they also have email, Facebook, Twitter. And Ottawa Rape Crisis Center has a crisis hotline that's available 24 hours a day for anybody who needs support. That mm -hmm. phone number is 613-562-2333. So if anybody out there feels that they need support or they need somewhere to reach out to, those are the two places in Ottawa that we are currently familiar with. And the ORCC crisis line, I actually used to be on their crisis line. Um, so I can tell you that we're all trained in feminist counseling perspective, which for those of that you don't, for those who don't know, it's basically just like really supportive counseling. Um, it's a really great line. There's only one person on the line at a time. So if you call and you get to the voicemail, leave a message, they will call you back like really fast. Just to clarify. Excellent. Good to know. Yeah. And I think going forward for the show itself, I just want to end off by asking you what your biggest insight has been through learning all of this and what would you offer uh, as advice to anybody who is looking to get any help? I think the biggest thing that I have had to learn is that you are not alone. It may feel that way. You may feel like you're in the dark, you don't have a voice, like you're drowning underwater, but I can tell you that you are most definitely not. and the biggest thing that I did that helped me was to get over that discomfort with talking about it. The yeah. first person I ever told, it was the most horrible conversation I ever had, but it's also the best conversation I ever had. So don't be afraid to speak up. Awesome. Um, I just want to take a second and thank you, Rebecca, for sharing your story and getting it out there. It's people like you willing to talk about things that are uncomfortable or, um, suppressed in our society or for people who don't know what to do or might not know something that happens that has happened to them it's stories like yours and people like you talking out that really make a big difference i think for other people and helping other people through their process and i just really want to thank you for being so um, vulnerable and open and sharing your story personally with me but also with anybody who's listening to this i think it makes a big difference and i think it's not easy to share your story but very impactful and hopefully it helps some other people out there i'm sure it will i have no doubt so thank you well, thanks sister it was very great to have you on and uh maybe we can 
do this again sometime and maybe on a bit of a lighter note, but all, <laughs> all, the, all the more important to have something like this to share out there publicly. 100%. I think it's super yeah. important to talk about. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we hope everyone had a takeaway from that episode. And if you have any insight that you gained personally, uh, feel free to share that with us as well. You can find us with our email is uh, have a little insight at gmail.com. And we also have our website, have a little insight.com. Yeah, we're also at have a little insight.ca. We are on Facebook at have a little insight and you can find us on Instagram at Hallie H A L I podcast. So feel free to reach out to us on any of those channels. And if you have questions for Rebecca, as we mentioned in the beginning, feel free to shoot them through us and uh, we're happy to reach out to her on your behalf. Yeah. And if you did like this episode and think that this is important, uh, please share it with anyone as well. Have a great week. Take care everyone.